Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast where we explore the origins and developments of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Today we are reading issue 45 of Green Lantern, which was published on the 12th of April 1966 with a cover date of 1966. And it features the return of the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alan Scott, a mere five issues after his last appearance in the title in issue 40. You wait ages for an Hal Jordan and an Alan Scott team up and then a few of them come along at once or something. Right, let's get straight into (laughs) it. Pete, say, tell us about the cover. The cover, big grey background. Yes. We've got the Green Lantern logo on fire in red. Mm. Very dramatic. Mm. There is an armoured, but bare-legged swordsman on the cover who's basically astride a felled Alan Scott Yes. as Hal Jordan Green Lantern flies in to deal with him. And there is a big caption saying, Can the doubled might of two Green Lanterns prove a match for... Prince Peril's power play. It's quite an interesting look that he's got the purple boots and the belt and the sash and the cape and his blue armour. And his, his, the sword that he's carrying has a sort of red glow of energy around it. And there's a similar glow yep. around Alan, who's obviously kind of doing his best to kind of stay up, but he's kind of he's fighting it. It's very dynamic. It's mm. very Gil Kane. His costume's quite reminiscent of Dr. Polaris, really. His later look, uh-huh, yeah. It is, absolutely. And it's a shame that that text box is there, actually, because it just kind of ruins it. It it just yeah. screams that it's been dropped in and they've cut out round the arm of Prince Peril so that the box fits. It's a shame because it's a really, really nice drawing. Oh, well, not to worry. It's another cover with the, the glorious checkerboards along the top. Yay. We do love the checkerboards. Mm-hmm. So we have an opening splash panel, which um, tells us the stories by John Broom with art by Gil Kane and Sid Green. So that's nice. Safe hands. And the aforementioned Prince Peril from the cover dominates the splash panel, which is both Green Lanterns sort of flying towards him. And the background of the splash panel, we see Doiby Dickles and his lady friend, Princess Ramia. And Doiby is saying, Relax, Princess, my buddies have arrived. The situation is well in hand. And the princess says, Oh, Doiby, do you really think they can defeat Prince Peril? Prince Peril. Anyway, we also have a caption text box in this panel, which goes a little something like this. No wonder Princess Ramia was apprehensive. The villainous Prince Peril had enormous super-scientific weapons at his command. Could even the combined might of two Green Lanterns match his formidable futuristic power? The conclusion of this story will startle you, reader. So, consider yourself forewarned as you begin the remarkable tale of... Prince Peril's Power Play! There's a rule about alliteration, isn't there? Uh, you can't have enough of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, strong agree, actually. Straight into the story on page two, and the opening caption says, Once upon a time, there lived a princess. Sounds like a corny opening, but it fits in, as you'll eventually see, on the world of Merc in Galaxy 882. And this panel shows Princess Ramia sat on a throne, quite a tall throne, a sort of crown motif on it, and standing in front of her. It's a guy who looks very much like Marvel Comics character, the Overmind. Yes, he does. Uh-huh. And this gentleman who looks very much like the Overmind is the chief of the Council of Six, as he's about to tell us through his dialogue. And your highness, as chief of the Council of Six, I must inform you that a time for choosing a husband has arrived. Merg must have a king, and you must provide an heir to the throne. Since you have not made your choice, 
The law states you must accept a suitor chosen by the council, and we have selected Prince Peril to be your husband, the princess replies. Prince Peril? I detest him and your council too. Get out! Leave me be! And she throws a goblet, which is some liquid in the atom, as the chief of the council walks away, and as he walks away he says, Remember, the marriage takes place Gonday, without fail! They must be big Star Trek fans in this planet because they have a name specifically named after the Gorn. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> From the episode the Arena. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's good that he didn't just say Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know. So the caption for the next panel says, You see, she's a very modern princess, sort of uninhibited. Now, we get a better look at the princess in this, this panel. It's a, she wears a sort of golden armour, sort of red belt, a red sash, and a gold crown which comes down and surrounds part of her face. There's a bit of a Deja Thoris look to it, it must be said. Mm-hmm. And she's with one of her ladies-in-waiting, and the princess is saying, I've looked all over Merg, and there isn't a man here I'd live with for ten minutes, let alone a lifetime. There's only one thing for me to do. Petia, I'm going to look elsewhere, in other worlds, for a husband. And Petia replies... Oh, Your Highness, do be careful. The last panel on page two shows Princess Rami walking out to a sort of a very chunky, very Jack Kirby-esque looking blue spaceship, which has a, is, yes. has a ladder leading up to an open hatch. So she's obviously going to use that to nick off and find herself a husband. She's on her way to steal your man. So as we reach the top of page three, the first panel shows the princess's spaceship zooming off into space and a caption that says, Poor princess, all alone in the void, but... She has her thoughts to keep her warm. Somewhere there must be a man I can love. I must find him, for the alternative is Prince Peril. Shudder. She shudders, yes. Now, we have a bit of a slow dissolve here, and a caption that says, Meanwhile, elsewhere in the cosmos, on Earth 2 to be exact. And there's a little footnote to that caption, and it says, Editor's note, a convenient designation for an Earth parallel to our Earth 1 existing in another dimension kind of implying that we're on earth one it mm-hmm. does doesn't it yeah yeah and indeed on earth two we see a certain taxi cab zooming along a busy street and the taxi has the radio on and we see a little speech bubble coming from the radio and it says and spaceland the new giant amusement center will be open to the public tomorrow today there will be a visit by dignitaries among them alan scott the president of gotham broadcasting we then cut inside the taxi cab and we see Dobie Dickles and Alan Scott, a.k.a. the Golden Age Green Lantern of Earth 2. And Dobie is saying, You hear that, Alan? Yous is a celebrity. Sometimes when I think of the old days when Yous was just a radio reporter, I can hardly believe it. And Alan says, Well, you're kind of a celebrity yourself, Dobie. You and your cab go through. I must say, you sure polished her up for this trip. Yeah. That's because I know these other dignitarians at Spaceland will be in fancy schmancy cars, and I didn't want Goitru to feel ashamed alongside of them. She looks great. Makes me feel proud as a peacock to be riding in her. And panel five of this page shows Goitrude arriving at Spaceland. Some other cars are being ushered in by, by guards. We can see Spaceland written on the side of a wall of one building and probably in what looks like another one as well. So, slow dissolve the caption for the next panel. Soon, the... Dignitarians are shown around the various exhibitions. And we see a man in a blue suit leading a few other chaps around. We can see some men in white coats with headphones on. Maybe sound cancelling headphones, I imagine. Operating some, it must be said, some very Jack Kirby-esque looking machinery. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of stuff I'd expect to see in an issue of Fantastic Four or The New Gods or something. And the guy in the blue suit, who I presume is one of the lead scientists, is saying, 
The radio transmitter has already begun to broadcast. It is beamed into space on a special wavelength. The theory and hope is that another intelligent race out there may answer it. Over the page to page four, and the first caption says... Meanwhile, the ex-cabbie who has become Alan Scott's Man Friday has some time to kill. And we see Doiby standing outside Goytrude, and he's polishing her windscreen. And as he does so, he says, I'll just polish you up a little more, Goytrude. This spaceland don't mean anything to us, does it, old Goyle? In fact, I can't understand all the fuss folks make about space. I bet there's nothing in the whole universe more beautiful than you, Goytrude. And then in the background, we see Princess Ramia's spaceship coming into land. And she is thinking... Following that space radio beam. Ah, so she's picked up on the signal being sent by the equipment mm-hmm. on the previous page. How interesting. So, in the next panel, panel three of page four, the spaceship has landed. The ladder has dropped out the hatch as it did before she departed. And we can see the princess walking down the stepladder. Doiby continues to talk to Goytrude, but then he gets distracted. Uses perfect. Uses gorgeous. Uses the most wonderful sight that any man in any world could want to see. Use... Huh? And then, as the princess walks towards him, he totally loses the ability to speak. And the princess thinks, I can read his mind. His name is Doiby Dickles. But those odd noises he's making. Possibly my sudden appearance has frightened him. I'd better let him know who I am and why I'm here. And she says out loud, My name is Princess Ramia. A princess? It's worth pointing out that in these panels and the first one on the next page, the princess's speech bubble has a sort of very jagged effect. It's almost like she's speaking through a radio or a translation device, I think. Because between panels five and six, she's brought Doiby up to speed. So I'm guessing we're maybe missing a little bit of exposition. But anyway, Doiby says to her, And you have come all the way from the far-off world of Murg to escape a crumb called Prince Pearl and find yourself a husband? And the princess says, That's right, Doiby. I'm looking for a man I can love. We move to the top of page five, and the princess is thinking, For some reason, this odd-looking earthling interests me. And then she says, Tell me about yourself, Doiby. I want to hear. And Doiby says, Oh, princess, you can't be interested in me. I'm nothing, but hold everything. I got just the man for yous. And Doiby thinks, For a long time, I've been thinking it's high time Alan got married. In his princess, could make a perfect pair. I gotta admit, whew, she's even more beautiful than Goytrude, and I never thought I'd see that day when I would admit that. She's the Goyle for Alan. And this is really, really cute, um, because Toby literally has stars in his eyes and little love hearts floating around him. He's obviously quite smitten. And the princess, I wonder if it's a technological thing or just a gift where she comes from, this ability to read his mind. Um, I wonder if we'll find out. Anyway, the princess is thinking... His mind is full of a certain Alan Scott, his best friend, who is also in secret a costumed superhero called Green Lantern. Doiby, we must point out at this moment that Doiby is much shorter than the princess. It's quite amusing looking at them side by side, you know, the camera angles that were given to almost make sure that they're both in the same frame. Anyway, Doiby says, Let me tell you about Alan. He's brave, he's handsome, he is the greatest. You and Alan belong with each other, and that's a fact. But suddenly, we see another spaceship coming into view, and Princess Ramea says, Doiby, a ship from Merg, landing here. And in the final panel, page five, Prince Peril's spaceship has landed, and he has emerged. And Princess Ramea exclaims, Prince Peril! The crumb! He's followed here, her princess! And at the top of page six now, Prince Peril grabs the princess by the wrist. 
And again, his voice also, his speech bubble also has a sort of jaggedy edge to it at first. And he says, Your Highness, I've come to take you home. Everything on Merg has been made ready for our approaching marriage. And the princess screams, Never! And then the next panel, Doiby dashes forward saying, You hide the lady crumb. Get your hooks off, Lord, before I begin to get mad at you. And the princess thinks, How strange to see this gentle little man get so angry. It gives me a tingling feeling. And the next panel, this is some great comedy business here. Doiby continues to rush up towards Prince Peril. And we should say at this point, Doiby's essentially half the size of the prince. Yes. <laughs> it is quite amusing. And there are some later panels when he looks even smaller. Doiby rushes up and he's saying, I'll disrumbobulate you with my bare hands. And Prince Peril replies, <laughs> This creature is most amusing, but I didn't come here to be amused. And he lifts Doiby off the ground. And then the princess rushes forward and makes a grab at Prince Peril's arm. And she says, Peril, if you harm him. And she thinks, Oh, if only I could bring Doiby's superhero friend here. But perhaps I can. I'll send out a general thought beam keyed so that only the person named Alan Scott will receive it. Doiby has no chance against that brute. We get a very dynamic close-up of the princess and there's a pink and white halo of energy around her as she sends off that thought beam. And indeed, the caption of the next panel says, in one of the exhibits nearby. And we get a very Gil Kane panel of Alan Scott. I mean, look at his face, good grief. And Alan turns round because he hears, he hears a thought beam, basically. And the thought beam says, Alan Scott, Alan Scott, you must come at once. Doiby Dickles is in danger. Alan says, Eh? We continue to the next panel at the top of page seven. The thought beam continues. I am Princess Ramia. Now that I have reached you, I'll explain everything by telepathy. But hurry. That's a nice panel of Alan making his excuses to the other dignitarians, and he says, Uh, excuse me, gentlemen, I just remembered an urgent appointment. And the caption for the next panel says, Outside, a flashing form makes the scene. This is great. We see Alan casting off his street clothes. He's now in his Green Lantern uniform. The thought beam continues. And follow my thought beam. It will lead you to us. And Alan says, I'm on my way, princess. Terrific. Right. Then the next panel, the caption says, At a nearby parking area, instance later. There's quite a lot going on here. We see that Prince Perro is still holding Doiby off the ground, and Doiby looks tiny compared to him in this panel. Princess Ramia is looking up because she can see that Alan is flying in. The princess thinks, So, this is Green Lantern. And Doiby says, Lantern! Thank goodness yous have arrived! But never mind me! Save the Goyle! The caption for the next panel, As the mighty mystic ring flashes out... And a little burst of energy comes from Alan's ring, on his left hand, obviously. And it grabs Doiby, pulls him away from Prince Peril, and Alan says, You first, Doiby. I can see you're in trouble. And then Prince Peril is thinking, The power of that green beam yanking this earthling from my grasp. And then he raises his sword, which is the glow of energy around it that we saw in the cover, and he shouts at Green Lantern, Aha! Perhaps from this primitive planet I have met a foeman worthy of my sword. Let us join battle, Earthman. Have at you. And Green Lantern says, Come ahead, Pearl. In the final panel of page seven, we see the little burst of energy coming from Prince Pearl's sword coming into the panel and Alan zapping it with his power ring. And Alan thinks, Incredible force starting from that sizzling sword of his. I barely managed to parry it with my ring. Gosh. Now, a little caption at the bottom says, Continued on third page following. So over the page, um, it's a little one of those nice little public service announcement. 
that's the one. A human interest public service announcement, all about your free trip around the world. It's all about going to the library and reading books. Um, there's a nice advert for Superman 80-page giant. And over the page again to page 8, and the caption for the first panel says, As the jewel of super weapons reaches a white heat of speed and fury. This is the most Gil Kane panel I think we've had from him yet, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Really reminds me of some of the the Spider Man stuff that he did in a, you know in a, in a couple of years' time when when Harry Osborn was tripping off his nut. Yes, as we say in Scotland, what we have is it's almost like a montage. There's a couple of giant headshots of Prince Peril and Alan Scott, Green Lantern, and a couple of almost overlaid shots of Prince Peril trying to zap Alan with his sword and Alan parrying with his with his power ring. It's really nice. We will probably put it on the socials. And as all this fighting is going on, Green Lantern is thinking, His speed is amazing for one his size. He keeps throwing those sword bolts at me so fast. I have all I can do to defend myself, let alone go on the offensive against him. The caption for the next panel. Then, as the Emerald Gladiator brings every ounce of his willpower to bear... And this is quite another very dynamic Gil Kane panel, with a sort of low angle behind Prince Peril, as he's firing a beam of energy from his sword, and Alan is much smaller in the top sort of right-hand corner, fighting back with his power ring. There's a massive crog sound effect, huge burst of energy release. And Doiby on the ground says, Something's gotta give now! Hit him, Lantern! The next panel, we see the results of that massive crog sound effect, because Green Lantern has succeeded in knocking the sword out of Prince Peril's hand. And Alan is thinking, I've disarmed him. But that discharge from his sword reached me. It's paralysed my wrists, my fingers. I can't use my ring. Yeah, there's still a little burst of energy around the sword, which is radiating back towards Alan, and his ring hand is glowing. Now we have another little editor's note, and it says, Apparently the paralysis has also reached a portion of GL's brain, for otherwise he'd be able to activate his ring by mental control alone. Interesting. This next panel shows Alan gracefully landing on the ground. Peter suggested cat-like, if yes, you will. Yes, very, very cat-like, I would say. And Green Lantern is thinking, This is going to be hand-to-hand now. And he says, Doiby, get the princess away from here. And Doiby says, Right, Lantern. And then Prince Peril's rushing towards Green Lantern. The next panel, we see them about to square off, and the princess says, But Doiby, how can we leave your friend now? Don't worry about Lantern. He can take care of himself. you got to do what he said. You aren't safe here. Then the first caption at the top of page 9 says, Then a titanic struggle ensues. Then with a massive pow, Prince Peril knocks Alan flying with a crash. And Alan thinks as he recoils backwards, Huh, that's not only his sword as powerful as fists are too. In the next panel, Prince Peril is bearing down on Green Lantern and he says, No one can keep Princess Ramia from me. Anyone who tries shall die. And Alan says, Meaning me? And then he continues the next panels. He punches up at Prince Peril with a crack. Sorry, but I can't take that kind of thread lying down. The next panel shows Prince Peril reaching for his sword as Green Lantern gets to his feet thinking, He's got hold of his sword again. I can't reach him in time. Next panel shows the prince still on the ground and he's grabbed his sword and he's zapping Alan with a giant sound effect. And the prince says, So perish all those who tempt the wrath of Prince Peril. Over the page to page 10 in the caption that says, Moments later... And we see that Princess Rami and Doiby are making a break for it in Goytrude. And in the background, through the back windscreen, we can see that Prince Peril's spaceship is following them. And the princess, looking out the window, says, Doiby, it's Prince Peril, coming after us. He must have defeated Green Lantern. That ain't humanly possible. But don't you worry, Princess. I'll protect you with my life. Only one way to escape now. My dimension changer. Your what? This special device. It will switch us from this dimension 
to the next one, along with your vehicle. We don't know where we may land, but we must take the chance. Here goes. These panels have shown the princess sort of fiddling with something in her belt. So she's obviously got some equipment or machinery hidden there. The caption for the next panel says, As an extraordinary change takes place... As a burst of green energy around them, and Doiby in a perfect gill cane up the nose close-up says, Holy Macri! This is the most amazing thing I ever heard of! And the princess says, It worked! And then we have another caption saying, Story continues on third page following. Now, Peter's going to read out the little poem now from the, the Superman DC National Comics checkerboard advertisement yes. that takes up the rest of this page. The bottom third of the page is a lovely Google check framed ditty from DC that says... Said a cat suffocating in Squaresville. I have moved to the wide open Airsville. Because those Macs from DC set me off in a spree. They are strictly from Nunkin Comparesville. <laughs> Wowza. Wowza. In one take, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Amazing in one go. Right. The opposite page is an advert for Cheerios starring Rocky and Bullwinkle. We turn over and there's a page of science facts, which is quite interesting. And then we reach a caption that says, Prince Peril's Power Play Part 2. And this is terrific because I'm enthusing about, about Gail Kane's artwork here. It's starting to get that little stylized way that it does, but I mean, this is tremendous. We're now in a busy city street. There's a whole crowd of people looking up at the sky because Goytrude is flying overhead. And from inside the car, Doiby is saying, Goytrude is flying like a Boyd. We're way over the ground. Princess replies, of course, Doiby. I'm powering your vehicle with Q energy. I want to have a look at this place before we land. And there's a man down in the street calling to just anyone who listened, and he's saying, Flying taxi cabs! Gosh! What will they think of next? Cut inside the car, the princess is saying, It looks civilised enough. In fact, Doiby, it looks very much like your world. Then it must be Earth One. I've heard Island speak about this place. But then, out of a clear blue sky... And with a burst of energy, Prince Pero's spaceship appears behind them. He's followed them. The princess exclaims from inside Gertrude, Prince Pearl again. He's managed to trail us. Yikes! In the next panel, there's a burst of energy is coming from the spaceship and striking Goytrude, and the princess says, He's shooting out a radiation doiby, forcing us down. The crumb! But wait a second, princess. I got me an idea. This is the Earth where that other Green Lantern lives. Hal Jordan. He's a friend of Alan's. Maybe if I use me rocket signal, I see it and understand I need help. And this is very interesting. Gobi leans out, still flying Gertrude. Gertrude flying is just tremendous. <laughs> he's, he has a sort of gun and he's firing. It looks like a green energy beam, but there's a cloud of dust and smoke around it as well. We can still see in the background, Gertrude is being zapped by the, the beam from Prince Peril. And then the caption for the next panel says, Nearby, an ace test pilot is manoeuvring a jet plane. Yep. Halfway through the story... And the guy whose comic it is is finally turning up. Yay. It's our Hal Jordan, and he's in the cockpit of his of his fighter, and he sees a burst of energy, obviously coming from Doiby's signal gun, and it's solidifying into the familiar Green Lantern logo. We should probably point out in the cover at this point then that Hal and Alan both have the same Green Lantern symbol, essentially. Yes. Alan's isn't really drawn in a sort of stylized old-fashioned lamp like we're sort of used to it in other stories. So I was kind of wondering why Doiby would project the same symbol, but not to worry. Anyway, inside the plane, Hal is thinking, Great Guardians, that's Doiby Dickel's distress signal. Alan Scott told me all about it. But what would Doiby be doing here? I've got to investigate this. Moments later, a gleaming streak arcs from the aircraft. Indeed, the gleaming streak is Green Lantern himself flying away from the aeroplane, and as he flies off, he thinks, I've put the jet on automatic pilot. It will land on the beach below by itself, and I'll pick it up later. Right now, I must answer that distress call as Green Lantern. 
off he flies. That's terrific. <laughs> yeah, he's going to land the plane on the beach, of and course. then when he comes back to it, he's going to find that some Neds have totally vandalised it, and <laughs> he's had his tyres stolen, and the windscreen's all broken, and rude words have been spray-painted all over it. Pretty much. Very careless, Hal. So we're now at the top of page 13, and it almost looks as, it looks as though Green Lantern is falling into frame, doesn't it? Yes, it's moving at speed <laughs> definitely. The, the way he's sort of waggling his hands as he plummets into view, we can see the little residual of the, the green signal that Doiby sent, and as he plummets towards the ground, Green Lantern is thinking, ah, the signal's coming from the movie lot of Paragon Pictures. Maybe I was wrong about it being from Doiby's cab. I'll find out in a moment. Meanwhile, below... Goitrude is now down on the ground. Doiby and Princess Ramia are leaning against it and Prince Peril with his spaceship in the background is looming over them and he's yelling Useless to try to escape me, princess. You must return with me to be my bride. I'm warning yous, touch her and yous'll be sorry. There's another Green Lantern here who will handle yous. Prince Peril, he's not having it, he says. Another Green Lantern? <laughs> I thrive on your Green Lanterns. I can handle them by the bushel. Where is this hero, this so-called champion? And then from off panel, Green Lantern says, Right here, mister. The next panel shows him coming into land and he's thinking, I was right. It is Doiby, and he does need help. Doiby says, Green Lantern of Earth One, use as a sight for sore eyes. That big gorilla is from another world. Stop him. He's the enemy of this poor Goyle. We see Prince Peril drawing his sword. And the princess in the background says, But be careful of Prince Peril's sword, Green Lantern. The sword is powered by Q energy. Already is used it to overcome your friend Alan Scott. Now over the page, page 14, Prince Peril is raising his sword up behind him and the red energy is starting to surround it like it did earlier. And Green Lantern, slightly on the back foot, says, Alan, stand back, he's coming for me. The caption for the next panel. As Peril's initial onslaught meets literally a stone wall. Yes, because Green Lantern, as he says in his thought bubble, I've thrown up a power beam barrier to counteract the terrific force of that sword. And we see the giant Prince Peril's sword has been stopped by the giant brick wall that Green Lantern has created. Green Lantern continues to think, but something's wrong. My ring is running out of power. I just remembered. I haven't charged it since yesterday. There's a little asterisk. And a little caption box tells us. Editor's notes. To keep his ring fully armed, GL must charge it at the power battery every 24 hours. And then in a close-up, the next panel, there's a sort of sputter, sputter effect happening, and there's a little burst of energy around the ring as Green Lantern thinks, it's only got a second or so of power left, leaving me helpless before that incredible sword. Only one thing for me to do. Caption for the next panel. Backing his ring with every ounce of his willpower, the Emerald Gladiator lashes out with it in an ultimate last-ditch effort. And, like a piece of boxwood in the flame of an acetylene torch, the sword crumples in Peril's hand. Yeah, beam of energy from Hal's ring, disintegrating the sword, and Prince Peril looks appalled with his big eyebrows and his goatee and his thick moustache, terrified. We move to the top of page 15, and the caption says, Bereft of their weapons, the two powerful antagonists charge at each other barehanded, and with grim fury... And they come together with a giant... Brawg sound effect and a giant grag sound effect. Doiby says, Yikes! Those two hitting each other like that, it's like an earthquake. The princess says, 
Oh, Doiby, can he win over Peril where the other one failed? This is the point where we should probably mention that both Alan and Hal's fights with Prince Peril have these really large, exaggerated sound effect captions. Yes. Drawing in the art. I mean, it's almost like the characters move through them and round them. I guess this must be the influence of the Batman TV show. Absolutely, yes. Also, all the hip-hop art stuff that seems to be going on in regards to that earlier caption before, about DC being hip and not for squares. <laughs> the advertisement, yeah. yeah. This sort of thing goes to ridiculous levels on the covers of, of this year's Justice League Justice Society crossover, which you know, we'll, we'll get to before too long. I think it's worth remarking on because it's it feels really conspicuous now, doesn't it? Yes. It's suddenly conspicuously there. We've we've had the odd large sort of caption just to mm-hmm. demonstrate force or something important happening. But over these pages, the, the crack and the blonk and the sputters and the it's almost like the comics are responding to the TV show and giving people who've maybe come to the comics from the TV show what they think comics should be like rather than what they're actually like. Yeah, and it's interesting how they've actually been inked heavier to make the letter stand out more as opposed to just being mm. a sound effect in the background. It actually now is a prominent standout feature. With the heavy inking, mm-hmm. it really stands out the way it did on the yeah, TV show. absolutely. We're on page 15 of the story now, in the first panel especially, because it's almost like Hal Green Lantern is standing on the grag, and then the brog seems to be behind him. He's almost like he's standing in front of it, and there's all sort of burst all around him, so there's obviously, they've obviously come together with, with a lot of force. It's worth pointing out. Anyway, the fighting continues into panel two, with a voip. It looks like Hal is headbutting Prince Peril in the stomach, because Prince Peril exclaims, Oh! And Doiby says, And a boy lantern in the bread basket. He can't take it there. Then the next panel, we see Green Lantern with a left hook striking Prince Pearl across the jaw. And Doiby says, That's it. Hit him on the chin too. You got that crumb groggy. Then the caption for the next panel, But Pearl is far from weakened, for suddenly... With a giant pow and a crash, he basically knocks Green Lantern through a piece of movie studio scenery which just happens to be close by. And Doiby remarks, Wow! He's not Green Lantern right through the wall of that movie set. Almost knocked down the whole building. Over the page to page 16. Inside the far west set. Next instant. Oh my goodness, they're literally having a barroom brawl. <laughs> this is insane. What we need is a piano playing machine going off in the corner. That would be <laughs> yeah, great but... in this old west saloon. I wonder if Peter would be able to find such an amusing accompanying background for the next page worth of panels. Anyway, Green Lantern is on his back because he's gone through the scenery and he's looking up at Prince Peril. Green Lantern is thinking, he's got the killer instincts of a wolf. Hal to finish his prey, Prince Peril leaps towards him, but Hal parries him because he's on his back, and Hal uses Prince Peril's momentum and keeps him flying over Green Lantern's head. And Green Lantern's thinking, just managed to get my legs up before he landed on me. And the next panel with a giant crash shows Prince Peril basically going behind the bar because we can see bottles flying everywhere. That's tremendous. That panel's going on the socials. The caption for the next panel says, Up and down, the epic struggle rages. With a POW! Green Lantern punches Prince Peril and Doiby's caught them up at this point and Doiby says, Keep going, Lantern. Show that big bully that the good guys always win. Caption for the next panel, however. But with a giant whap sound effect, Prince Peril kicks back at Hal, sending him flying. Now it looks like they're up on the balcony above the bar at this point because the next panel, Hal has fallen backwards and he's grabbed, I'm not going to say the chandelier, but the hanging light fitting. Prince Peril says, You save yourself from falling, but you won't escape me. And Hal says... Who said anything about escape? And he uses the hanging light-fitting chandelier, if you like, to swing back. And with a sock, he kicks Prince Pearl in the face. 
knocking him backwards. Very Adam and the Ant stand and deliver that scene, isn't it? Yes, actually. <laughs> the caption for the next panel. As the Titanic struggle reaches a new stage of mounting fury on the realistic movie set. With a crash, Hal and Prince Pearl have gone through another movie studio set wall. With a blam, Hal punches him again. Doiby is following and he says, Yikes, they're busting right through the wall of that saloon and smack into the sheriff's office next door. And this is very handy, actually, because the next set, obviously, being the sheriff's office, has a jail set to it, and with a wham, Hal punches Prince Pearl backwards again into the jail set, and Hal's thinking, I'm driving Pearl into that movie set cell, but those are real bars, and if I can lock him in there, I ought to hold him till I can get him to a real jail. With a satisfying click in the bottom panel of page 17, Hal locks Prince Pearl in the cell, and he says, How does it feel to be a prisoner in a cell, Pearl? Pearl replies, Bah! You puny earthling. We move to the top of base 18. Let's take a bit of a surprising twist here. Astonishingly, as the giant Murgan flexes his huge muscles. And it's a nice little play in words here because Prince Pero has used his enormous Prince Pero strength and he's lifting the bars right over his head. And he says, Don't sell Prince Pero short. And we've got the word cell, as in jail cell, in quotation marks around. So yes, nice bit of wordplay from Prince Pearl, considering he's only just learned English. <laughs> yeah, I know. Prin- Prince Pearl's quite a funny so-and-so then. Hal is astonished, and he says, Watch your power. He's uprooted that cell. And in the caption for the next panel... Then, before the Green Gladiator can recover from his surprise... With a clank, Prince Pearl has struck Green Lantern with the cell. With an oh, Hal is out for the count. The next panel shows Prince Pearl dragging off Doiby and the princess, and Prince Peril is saying, There'll be no more running away, princess, and I've decided to take your little playmate with us. And Doiby says, Nothing doing. It's unconstitutional. Let go of me. Where are you taking me? Prince Peril says, You'll see. <laughs> You'll see. And the panel closes out the caption saying, Story continues on fourth page following. So this page is rounded out with a nice little tiny advert for Batman and Detective Comics. We have the letters page. Over the page is a Palisades amusement park. New Joyzy advertisement with a full page advertisement for Swing with Scooter. And then over the page to page 19 of the story in a caption that says, Prince Peril's Power Play Part 3. So... Part 3 of the story begins with a lengthy caption box which says, Where has Prince Peril taken Doiby? You guessed it. Back to the planet Merg. But did you guess that the evil Mergen's diabolic purpose was to make Doiby his court jester? His buffoon and source of not-so-innocent merriment? Let us look in in the hapless Doiby as he's about to be put through his paces. There's quite a lot going on in this panel. The fixtures and fittings have a very Kirby-esque sort of look to them. We see Princess Ramia on a throne. There's a few other dodgy-looking individuals standing around. Doiby being lifted off the ground by Prince Perro. Doiby's wearing, it's essentially a jester's uniform. He has a hat with a sort of pom-pom on the top. He's wearing a ruffled collar. Striped tights. His left leg is sort of black and white striped. His right leg is sort of orange and black striped. His shorts are one half black, one half blue. He's a big yellow belt with a design on the front and his top is sort of broken down into segments. There's a white segment, an orange, a black, a green. His sleeves are different colours, green, black, orange and green. And he's wearing jester shoes, one of which is green, one of which is orange. He kind of looks as if he's just walked out of the set of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine animated feature, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, he could, he's right, I mean, just exactly as he, he could be another character, like the Nowhere Man or something, absolutely. Yes. Wonder if he's got a hole in his pocket. <laughs> All you need is love. H is for hurry, E is for urgent, L is for love me, P is for please, please help me. 
maybe that's what Doiby's thinking. So, yes. Prince Peril is teasing Doiby in this panel. Doiby's jumping up off the ground. Prince Peril is saying, Jump, Doiby. If you want this delicious morsel of Merg candy, jump. That's it. Ha ha ha. As Doiby jumps, he's thinking, I gotta play along with this crumb and his crummy tricks. It's the only way I can keep an eye on the princess. I'd do anything to save her from that fate worse than death that awaits her if she marries that no good Prince Peril. In the bottom inset panel of page 19, as Doiby grabs a bit of candy in his mouth, he's thinking, Ah, the wedding is to be tomorrow. Gone day on their calendar here. But like we say back at night, there's many a slip in betwixt the cup and the lip. In between this mug and her lips is what I mean. Now, we move to the top of page 20. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we did Detective Comics 347 and Gardner turned up, Gardner Fox turned up, and we talked yes. about how Gil Kane had done a one-panel cameo in issue of Green Lantern, and we talked about the Sea Devils, where the various artists appeared. Pete, see, do you want to describe the next panel to us? The next panel, we have a gentleman at a drawing board, and the drawing board has got a nice little nameplate on it that says Gil Kane. Mm. And this gentleman's looking at the reader as he is working on a page that's headed up Prince Peril's Power Play. Yeah, he's got pencil in his hand, he's got a nice little lamp, and he's saying to the reader, Well, anxious readers, what do you think? Will Prince Peril actually get to marry the lovely princess who detests him? He's quite an operator, and he might actually swing it, except for a couple of things that he knows nothing about. First off, he is unaware that Hal Jordan's power ring bestowed on him by the Guardians of the Universe automatically protects him from mortal harm even when there's no juice left in it. And this panel is a little flashback to a very alarmed-looking Hal being struck by the prison cell that Prince Peril is bringing down upon him. And Gil Kane's narration continues. So that Earth One's Green Lantern was knocked unconscious, not killed, by his foe's vicious attack, and soon recovered. And shortly, in a dressing room at the Ferris aircraft hangar... And for the umpteenth time now in this podcast, we get a very dynamic shot of Green Lantern Hal Jordan charging his Green Lantern power ring, and he says... In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. With his ring finally and fully charged. And Green Lantern, how Jordan flies off and he's thinking, I must find out if Alan Scott is all right. I'll use my ring to penetrate the dimension barrier between our two Earths and contact him. Soon, by means of the two power rings, a sort of trans-dimensional telephone line is set up between the green-clad gladiators. And this is another fantastic panel. Gil Kane at full tilt, man. At his absolute strength. It's quite hard to describe. A sort of jaggedy green energy surrounded inserts of Alan and Hal on either side. And in between, there's a whole big sort of complex bit of line work. Again, it's very Kirby-esque, isn't it? I mean, look at the sort of the, the atom type joined up elements sort of in the background of it. With a bit of deco thrown in. This is basically what you would describe these days as the bleed, the interdimensional bleed. I can imagine the silver surfer flying over it or, or Doctor Strange walking through it. It's obviously it's the background to the two Green Lanterns conversation. The beams of energy from the two rings are joined in the middle where the a little Green Lantern logo symbol has been generated. And Alan Scott is saying Yes, Hal, I'm still alive and kicking. What happened was this. Despite my numbed hand, I managed at the last moment to squeeze out enough power from my ring to take the sting out of Prince Peril's sword blast. So it wasn't lethal. But where is Doiby and the princess? And Hal says, Peril must have seized them, Alan. Listen, I've already investigated. Over the page, their conversation continues. And by using my ring, I located the radiation trail of a spaceship that left this area. We should be able to follow it. And Alan replies, I'm glad you said we, Hal. I'll join you in a couple of moments. Terrific. 
So the caption for the next panel. Meanwhile on Merg, Gorn Day has arrived, and with it a giant military parade staged by Prince Peril to celebrate his marriage later in the day. And we see a nice parade of military-looking equipment. Again, has a touch of the, the Jack Kirby's. Maybe I'm doing Gil Kane a disservice. Maybe they both drew just similar things. Maybe they had similar ideas. We can see that Prince Peril is astride one of these pieces of equipment as it's being driven down the street. And there's a sort of backlit window in a tower. And we can see a couple of silhouettes and it's Doiby and the Princess. Doiby says, De Crumb, he's showing off for you as Princess. And then the caption for the next panel says, On the royal balcony overlooking the scene. And the Princess says, Yes, Doiby, but I never hated Peril more than I do at this moment. He's turning my peaceful country into an armed camp. All those weapons. Don't give up hope, Princess. I got a feeling. My friends, the Green Lanterns won't let us down. And hardly are the words out of Doiby's mouth when... And from the street level, looking up past Prince Pearl, and we can see the tower with the princess and Doiby on the balcony, two green lanterns fly into the rescue. The princess says, Doiby, look! Holy mackerel! I was right! Here they come! And a very angry Prince Pearl down on the street cries, Destroy them! Destroy them at once! He's quoting the cyber leader. Excellent. Destroy them. Destroy them at once. There you go. That's his one line of dialogue at the end of part one of Us Shock. There you go, fact fans. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> cool. I love it. Right. And then the caption for the next panel. As a veritable war breaks out between the army of Prince Peril and the two green-clad allies of Princess Ramia. And it's a great panel of the two Green Lanterns flying down and beams of energy firing up at them and past them and explosions going on all around. And Helen Allen's hair is being... Buffeted in the breeze, they look very heroic. Green Lantern Hal Jordan says, Let's hit them from two sides, Alan. We'll give Peril and his minions a taste of what real Green Lantern ring power can do. And Alan Scott replies, Right, Hal, let's go. We then have a full-page panel. The caption says, As the combined invincible force of the two mystic rings simultaneously striking in a pincer's movement from two sides wreaks havoc on the assembled might below. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan on the left-hand side of the panel, firing a beam of green energy down at the ground, and Alan on the, the right of the panel, he's flying up and down, firing his beam. We can see the military equipment exploding. Some of the soldiers are running about. Presumably they must be Prince Peril's army. They all can run about looking very alarmed. And Prince Peril, and it looks, it looks like he's about to go head over heels because he's been blown up. He looks very alarmed, legs akimbo. And one of the soldiers in the foreground who's running away says, We surrender! Spare us! And in the tower, overlooking it all, Doiby and the princess have a little bit of dialogue, and Doiby says, Did you ever see anything like that, princess? The two green lanterns together. They're scrambumptious! The princess says, They've beaten Peril and his cohorts. We've won the day, Doiby. We've won! And then we have a little closing caption for this page, and it says, Thus, with this overwhelming victory, our story just about comes to a close. But there is still one unsettled matter to resolve in the concluding section of this stirring tale. Over the page to page 23, and a caption that says, Epilogue. Epilogue. And the first story caption says, Some days later, after peace has been restored on Merc and the leaders of the warlike element imprisoned... And we see Prince Peril, obviously in jail. There's an armed guard outside, wearing a green sort of suit of armour, bearing a gun. And there's a man in a very dumpy-looking gentleman in an orange all-in-one sort of suit. He's got white boots and a very weird sort of set of white headgear. Very neat beard. It kind of reminds me of Timothy Claypole from Rent-A-Ghost, which is a reference, I'm sure... All of our listeners would understand. And this guy's bearing some food for Prince Peril and he says, 
We are serving a special dinner, Prince Peril, in honour of the marriage of our Highness Princess Rania today. And Prince Peril says, Bah, put it down and get out. We then cut back to the artist Gilkane at his drawing table, and he says, So, the princess is getting married, but you're wondering whom did she choose. Well, before we go into that, let's take a look at a couple of gallant possibilities whom she did not choose. On Earth 1, for example. And we see Green Lantern Hal Jordan in his civilian guise as test pilot Hal Jordan, working with his friend Tom, working on an aeroplane. And Hal says, Pass me that wrench, will you? And Tom replies, Sure thing, Hal. And Tom thinks, I've got a new story to put in the casebook of Green Lantern, The Adventure on Merg. And then the next caption for the next panel says, And on Earth 2. And there's obviously a lot going on. There's a little sign on the wall that says Alan Scott, President of the GBC, which is the Gotham Broadcasting Corporation. And it's obvious that everyone's waiting to have a meeting with Alan. We can see there's a few people in suits standing outside wearing briefcases and sheafs of paper and pens. And Alan's secretary is leaning in the door and she's saying to Alan, Mr. Scott, we've had to postpone the conference with your department head several times. Can you take them now? And Alan replies from behind his desk, Yes, Miss Tyler. Send them in. And he thinks, Back to normal life again. We then cut back to the artist Gil Kane, who's completely massacring the fourth wall, it must be said. <laughs> and Gil's looking very relaxed, standing with one foot up on his little desk swivel chair, and he's saying, So, she didn't choose either of the Green Lanterns. Then who? Well, brace yourself, reader, and remember that anywhere in the universe, a woman is the least predictable of creatures. <laughs> in fact, the one she chose was none other than... And then we have a very striking close-up of Princess Ramia, and she is saying, Doiby! Dear Doiby! By my special telepathic powers, I divined that his love for me was boundless, greater than any other man's could ever be, and that won me. We move to the, the final story page now, top of page 24, and a little caption says, So the princess is happy, but what about Mr. Dickles himself? Doiby's standing in front of a mirror here. He's still wearing the little jester's outfit that he was put in by Prince Peril. And it looks like he's now fixing a crown on over his jester's hat. The princess is always delighted she's charmed by this. She's clasping her hands up to her face and she says, Doiby, darling, no longer shall I use my telepathic powers to probe your thoughts. Tell me, what are you thinking about? And Doiby says, Well, I was just thinking. How glad I am that I traded in my Doiby hat for a crown. And also, I was thinking about my friend Alan Scott and how I miss him. Now I miss Goytrude. Gee whiz, I may never see either one of them again. But I'm not complaining, you understand? Because, after all, I now got Jews, the most beautiful princess in the whole universe. And what man could ask for more? Oh, Doiby, you have such a romantic way of saying things. And she leans in, presumably for a kiss, as a little love heart is bursting out all around them. And a closing caption says, And to bring our story to its traditional conclusion, they lived... Happily ever after. The end. There we are. Well then, that was a lot of fun, it wasn't was it? Very mid sixties. <laughs> Go on, see what you think. No, actually, to be honest, it, it kind of felt like you took out an old Golden Age Green Lantern story and just chucked the Batman TV series at it, and this is what mm -hmm. came out. It's not complete yeah. by any means, but it really is. Uh -huh. It does feel very much like an older style Golden Age story with Cosmic Princess coming in and inappropriate suitor. Uh, and yeah. she's, she's looking for... It does, it's very it's very Golden age in that sense. That's what to be expected because it, it starts off, obviously, in the, the universe that Earth 2 is in. 
Yeah, which is Doesn't very it? unusual. It takes a long time before we actually get to the other one. Yeah, and even longer for, for how Jordan to turn up. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose it, if it starts off enough to, it's, it's bound to feel a bit golden agey. Mm-hmm. I was really, yeah, really struck by how little Hal really contributed to the proceedings. It kind of put me in mind of one of the Flash team-up stories that started off mainly with Jay Garrick and uh-huh. took a little over for Barry to show up. One thing I wanted to touch on, and this is sort of in light of recent developments for Alan Scott, and when I say recent, in some ways I mean the Peter Watson and David Steele way of addressing things as in recent means at any point in the last 20 years. It's interesting to note that Doiby was concerned that Alan wasn't married after all this time. Yes, well, yeah, neither's Doiby, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, Alan is a confirmed bachelor, and the recent sort of writing of, especially the, the new 52 Earth 2 Green Lantern, and sort of some subsequent stuff that's been done with it that you know that Alan Scott was gay. Yeah. You know, that almost fits almost fits in with that. It means that that suggestion mm-hmm. that he wasn't married and you know, he wasn't married to a woman because you know his his eye was elsewhere, I suppose, for better, for want of a better way of putting it. And that's that's interesting, which means I suppose there's a basis for that development for Alan after all. You know, a lot of people weren't very happy with it. But I suppose if you want to look for evidence for it to support it, I suppose it's there if you if you need it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Okay, looking at the future history of Alan Scott and where this is all going. In pre-crisis continuity, if you have a look at Infinity Incorporated, he's got two children there, Jade and Obsidian. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. is Jade about 19, I think? They're twins, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think it said that Jade's about 19. She's certainly early 20s at the latest when she first appears. Mm-hmm. Going by the actual years, because the Golden Age characters are kind of like set in the years in which they appear, uh-huh. as opposed to the sliding time frame that we have mostly for other characters. Yeah. Going by the actual years in which they appear, she must have been born maybe about five years prior to this? Four years prior to this, perhaps? When is it they first rock up? It's about 82? Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they probably had been born by this point mm-hmm. for, for them to be to reach the age that they are when they're introduced in, uh-huh. in All-Star Squadron, yeah. This is all way in the future. Listeners will get yes, there eventually, don't worry. Yes, we will get there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's always been the big bugbear with the changes made to, to Alan Scott in continuity. It's fine when it's a, like an alternate version, like the New 52 Earth 2 storyline. That was a completely brand mm-hmm. new character. Mm-hmm. Same name, mostly the same power, so he was more kind of like almost Swamp Thing based. Yeah, I liked that. That was one aspect <laughs> of it that I really liked. He was the agent of the Green and he was essentially Swamp Thing. It yeah. was tremendous. But when they tried to like add that in and retcon it into into the original Alan Scott's, the original Green Lantern's history, that made it a bit mm. trickier to try and fit that in. That's right, yeah. It's not impossible that it's true and it all happens and everything, but it was nothing that anyone really intended at the time when when these stories were written. Oh yeah, so yeah, it is interesting to like look back with hindsight and see how it fits in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, with hindsight, it's interesting to see that if you want to look for that ambiguity about him, mm-hmm. then it's then you could say that it was there. Yeah. It was so weird how Hal was almost just like a guest star in his own comic and this one really, you know, turned up for a comedy fight scene in a barroom yeah. set in a cowboy movie and then he's out again <laughs> just to come back for the for the mopping up. Yeah, he hardly says anything either. Yeah, <laughs> quite an un- unusual sort of structure the way it was all set up and you were them running away and then and then it all just gets resolved in two big panels of a fight scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very odd. It's a fun runaround. Yeah. Yes, a-, a romp as-, as Doctor Who fans of a certain age may say. Yeah. Yes, mm. there you go. Yeah, the other thing I was kind of intrigued by was was Prince Peril's status. Yes. Presumably him and Princess Rami are not related, but there must be some other territories or something on... On Murg. On Murg, and maybe he marched his army in from his other territory to where she lives because he was, you know, about to marry her and there was some kind of political or military sort of ramifications and all that. It was quite interesting. I'm sure we see a bit more of Murg at some point, don't we? Yeah, I'm sure we do. I think we're that used to in these in this type of story, if there's like royalty of a planet or another planet appears, it's generally the ruler of that planet, as opposed to 
territories on the planet. Mm. So it is quite different to, to experience that. But yes, it makes sense. I mean, it yeah. starts off with the princess being approached by a member of her council to say, mm-hmm. about time you got a husband now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that, if you're the ruler of the world, then, you know, I don't think that would be a huge issue as to, mm. you know, whether she's married or not. I think mm-hmm. it's more a case of, as you said, maybe territories and alliances and things. Yeah. Basically firming up their political or military position. Who knows? Who knows? Obviously, Prince Pearl yeah. has got a big military force with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a factor in this story. Who knows? Who yeah. knows what the motivation of that council member was? Who knows? Did Prince Pearl slip him a bung so that, you know, Prince Pearl would get matched up with her? Who can say? A corrupt so? councillor? That would never Who happen. Could, oh, never. Never. Never happen. Politics never. is, is clean, never, ever, clean, ever. clean. Shall we have a look at the reader reaction for this story? I think we shall, yes. So, jumping into Green Lantern's mail shoot from issue 48, and we've got a few letters here. The first one kicks off. Dear Editor, Every so often, after reading an exceptionally good comic mag, I put it down, stretch my arms over my head, and grinning say to myself, Now, there is a story. Unfortunately, stories of this high quality don't come often. But when they do... There's something to rave about. Prince Pearl's power play in Green Lantern 45 was such a story. If you were to ask me what I enjoyed the most about the tale, I would quickly answer Doiby Dickles. <laughs> Usually I very much dislike a superhero's foil because he is just plain stupid and ridiculous. John Broom's excellent handing of Doiby rose above this usual fault. Instead of an absurd Claude who couldn't even recognise the villain, Doiby was intelligent and fully aware of what was happening. He possessed the ability to fall in love and had a strong devotion for Goitrude and Green Lantern. In short, he was a simple, easy-going human. I can only hope that we will see more of him. I was also delighted by the way the Green Lanterns fought in an exciting blaze of glory. Take, for example, pages 21 and 22. In the darkest hour, the two Green Lanterns charge in and in one glorious panel, wail the tar out of the soldiers. Wow. In case you haven't noticed by now, I feel John Broom did a tremendous job in scripting the story. Gil Kane's pencil were, as usual, outstanding and Sid Green seems to have finally captured the exact style for inking his drawings. I can only close by saying thank you for such an outstandingly tremendous tale. And that's from Richard Vincent, Aurora, Colorado. Terrific. There's one very short bit of editorial response which says, Doiby Dickles, C, as in yes, affirmative, from the editor, (laughs) right. Tremendous, so that probably hints that we'll get some more doiby. Righty, so the next letter goes something like this. Dear Editor, needless to say, Prince Perro's power play was another masterpiece. Also needless to say was the fact that the appearance of the original Green Lantern was the highlight of the issue. Since number 40, you have given us at least one famous or infamous character co-starring with GL. In order, they are the original Green Lantern, Star Sapphire, Satana, Flash, Evil Star, and the original Green Lantern again. Purdy, purdy, please, keep them coming. Now, this is probably the point to drop in and tell you very quickly that um, Evil Star had just appeared in issue 44 after having appeared in issue 37 of Green Lantern. He's an alien from the planet Aoran, or A-O-R-A-N is how it's spelled. But there was also a Golden Age Evil Star, a kind of corrupt Hollywood executive, basically, who appeared in Evil Star over Hollywood in issue 44 of All-Star Comics and fought the Justice Society that came out in October 1948 and was reprinted in issue 115 of Justice League of America if you have that handy and want to read it. Anyway, so the letter continues. As I just said, this issue was a masterpiece. I like these way out space stories, especially when the characters are as exciting as Hal Jordan and Alan Scott. 
Prince Pero is a fairly good bad guy, although there have been countless others like him. I don't believe he offers too much hope as a future character. Yeah, that's a fair point. He was a bit dismissive, mm-hmm. easily dismissible, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. Quite ineffective. He was just really there as a sort of the function, because this story was about getting getting Doiby lumbered. Mm-hmm. Letter continues, as usual, my favourite artists, Gil Kane and Sid Green, were up to their ever-loving best. Three cheers for having Gil Kane drawing those panels of himself. I was surprised at how much he has changed since Showcase 35. According to that old Showcase, he was firm but slender, with a healthy head of brownish-black hair. But in GL 45, he didn't look a day over 22, and his hair was bleach-white. Have you been overworking him, editor? The storyline of the issue was great. I have but one complaint to offer about it. Why did you get Doiby Dickles married off to a space queen? Now that he's trillions of miles away from the Earth, he'll practically be forgotten in the next original GL yarn. I haven't known him as long as some readers have, so I was just getting acquainted with him. Then what do you do? You shoot him off to the galaxies. What will I do without Doiby Dickles? What will all your readers do? And most of all, what will Alan Scott do without him? Doiby Dickles may have fun out there, married to a cute space queen, but I'm going to miss him. And that's from Mike Flesher, Arlington in Texas. I don't know if that's the same Michael Flesher who goes on to become a comic professional. I wonder if maybe... They didn't read his handwriting terribly well. And the editorial response to this one, very simply, is have no fear. When the Green Lanterns of Earth 1 and 2 team up again in a forthcoming issue, the irrepressible Doiby Dickles will prove himself irreplaceable. And that's from the editor. And Pete has gone digging into his own personal archives just to clarify yes. Gil Kane's appearance in issue 35 of Showcase. So tell us about that then, Peter. Yeah, I was a bit concerned when we read out that letter that we'd missed an appearance, but actually it's a text piece about the creators right. in Showcase 35. And Showcase 35 features the Atom, and we've got a double-page spread that's called Inside the Atom. Why? And basically just tells you all about the creators. And there's three headshots of Gil Kane, Gardner Fox, and Murphy Anderson. I see. With a bit of history to, to all three creators. So yeah, it's really quite interesting. And a bit different, a bit different from that. And that's uh, from Showcase. This is the second appearance of Link of the Atom. Showcase number 35. So, yeah. Mm. And that was, of course, by Gardner Fox, Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson. So, yeah, there you go. Well, maybe stick that page up on the socials then so people can have a look at it. Because yes. we've obviously done, we've done quite a few stories, but each of those, are, those creators. Mm-hmm. Nice one. So, yeah, panic over, listeners. We didn't miss another Earth Prime appearance there. You're okay. <laughs> so, there's one very short letter now which says, Dear Editor, Doiby Dickles and the Princess Ramia... Well, why not? And that's from Peter's favourite, Irina Vartanoff and Beth Sida, MD. Yep, future comic colourist. Editorial response to that is Doiby Dickles, CCC. Yeah. So, there's one final letter now, and it goes like this. Dear editor, usually I'm not at no small disadvantage when it comes to writing two Green Lanterns mail shoots because... Usually, when I face 42 anxious typewriter keys, with the intent of commenting on a particular issue, I draw an absolute blank. Oh, when a story like the three-way attack against Green Lantern or the secret origin of the Guardians comes along, I can always find words to express my feelings. But such events are all too few and far between. However, another event just cropped up with Prince Peril's power play, and I am moved to say, terrific! This was the best Green Lantern adventure since the previous Duo GL novel. I say this even though, lamentably, little was shown of Alan Scott, Earth 2's Emerald Crusader. The two big knuckle struggles betwixt the oversized royalty from Murg and the Power Ringers was great despite the brevity. GL as a magazine has always been notable for the fistfights contained therein. Gil Kane's artwork deserves special mention for the best job I've seen him do and ditto for Inker Sid Green. I like the bit where Kane himself appears to narrate the tale at crucial points. This is the second time you've done this, and I like the idea, but don't get carried away now. 
Once every few issues is quite enough for such an entertaining and original idea. So, like I said above, I'm usually at no small disadvantage when writing to Green Lantern. This time, I was at no small advantage. You're back on the power beam, DC. Keep it up. And that's from Guy H. Lillian III of Walnut Creek, California. Have we heard from him before? It rings a bell. Yes, he's, he's again another renowned letter hack of the time. Cool. And the editorial response to Guy is, Keep it up! We're going to do much better than that in the very next issue when Green Lantern's life takes an astonishing turn that will set the stage for a series of dramatically different stories involving the Emerald Crusader. By all means, do not miss the spectacular robberies of TV's master villain, editor. But we won't be doing that story because it doesn't involve parallel earths or anything to do with DC's legacy. So there, you can you can track down issue 46 yourself, listeners. Yes. <laughs> so there we are. That was a really fun read. Compared to issue 40 which took us 10 years to record and you 20 years to edit. <laughs> this was much, much, much more fun, a lot less heavy, much mm-hmm. more lightweight than issue 40. So yes. and no harm to issue 40. This was, quite, this was quite breezy by comparison and a lot of fun. So that's what we thought about the issue. What did you think? Please get in touch. You can email us at theearthtoothpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because, as we said, as well as bonus material from this, we'll also be posting... That lovely double-page spread as a bonus from Showcase, featuring the creators Gardner Fox, Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson, all of whom we've talked about a lot on the show. Yeah, it's nice to add a little bit of context to everything with that, so that'll be fun. Yep. So on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yep, jump onto our social medias and see what we're doing and say hi and give us some feedback and let us know. If you can rate and review us on your respective podcast delivering apps, that would help us out no end as well. Thank you very much in anticipation. That's it for this episode. I've been Peter. And I've been David. And we will see you next time on... The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. By all means, do not miss the spectacular Robbie... Oops. The spectacular Robbie Williams. That's what I want to say.